Uh, the first passage comes from Psalm uh, 63. A Psalm of David when he was in the desert of Judah. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I've seen you in, my sanct- in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I'll be satisfied as with the richest of foods, with singing lips my mouth will praise you. On my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you, your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. The next reading comes from John chapter 4. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't go thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go and call your, cu- your husband to come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have, have, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our, ancestor, our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim, to, claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers that the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Finally, from Philippians chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Rejoice. 
Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. It's great to see you. As we look uh, this afternoon, we'll be referring to the Psalms uh, particularly and then looking in at these other verses. But let's pray as we begin looking at God's Word. Father, we thank you that, that we are not alone in this world, but that um, you reveal yourself to us, that we hear your voice, uh, that in the Lord Jesus you reveal yourself to us. Uh, We thank you for that. Uh, We pray that as we hear your voice now, as we think about uh, how you uh, hear us, how we have your ear, the privilege of prayer, may uh, you encourage us uh, through your word, Uh, may what I speak be uh, true, and may you stir us uh, again with hearts afresh uh, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I wasn't getting emotional. Hang on a moment. Caleb, I'm going to steal your water just for a second, if that's all right. I was this morning uh, announcing the Alpha course and something like that got in my throat and I, what looked like, was crying in the announcement. Alpha is a very good course, so uh, you should consider coming along. Uh, um, so we're looking at Psalm 67 this afternoon, um, and we're looking at habits that shape the heart. So character is largely a bundle of habits, and so we're looking at habits that, that form us, as it were. Uh, Justin said last week, the theme of Sundays is, is Monday. Uh, he spoke about we, we don't want a, a sandstone faith, we want a faith that is real outside uh, the walls of of this church building, one that lasts a lifetime. Or to put it another way, he said, we want to go to the gym for four weeks, uh, four habits that will build our faith, that will, that will form us to be people of, of character, or that will grow us to be the people of God uh, that he wants us to be. And these are four habits that people throughout the centuries have used. I mean, what we've done already this evening is drawn upon the habits that for thousands of years, the church has done. The Apostles' Creed has, well, the Nicene Creed is, uh, creeds are, are summaries of the Christian faith, which the church uh, formed, uh, often under severe persecution, and the church has stood by for thousands of years. And that's a habit. And as we say that, it does form us, it builds us as the body of Christ. And so today we look at the topic of prayer. And I don't know about you as we begin that, but it can be a particularly guilt-inducing topic, prayer. Because the reality is, um, it's not everyone's experience, but for for a significant amount of us, and and for myself included, um, prayer might be something that you struggle with. Um, And a sermon on prayer can be overwhelming because it gives us something that we might have to do again. And it brings up those thoughts for us. But I hope today, in the passage as we look at it, that uh, it might not, you might not feel overwhelmed by a message of do, but you might be uh, won by what we get in prayer. What we get in prayer. We get uh, what's promised is, is living water 
we get God himself, we get his ear. And so we're going to be looking at prayer, we're going to ask ourselves, what is prayer, why do we do it, and how do we do it? Uh, but as we do, uh, we want to plumb the depths of the great privilege that it is as sons and daughters to have God's ear. We'll be looking at Psalm 63 and dipping into some other verses. But to begin, uh, to begin what, what is prayer? Well, simply put, prayer is talking to God. Uh, last week we saw that we hear His voice, He reveals Himself to us through His Word, He speaks to us. Uh, but the great wonder is that He wants to hear from us. We have His ear. And so it's not merely talking to God, is it? Because it, what does it highlight? It highlights the personal relationship that exists Uh, God wants to relate. He wants us to respond. He wants us to use the words the Puritans used uh, to commune with him. Uh, He has initiated this contact and he wants us to respond. We have God's ear. We can know him. Uh, More than that, we can can enjoy him. And we see that in, in the psalm today, as we read. The psalm is written by King David. He is in the desert of Judah. Uh... We don't know the exact cause of why he's in the desert, but uh, we know that he's in a vulnerable place. Uh, He might be being pursued. There's there's two occasions where he's in the desert where he's pursued by King Saul and then another time by his son Absalom. And so he's an outsider, he's vulnerable, uh, he's lonely, and he's in the desert. So we can assume that he's thirsty. Uh, There's a real need, physical as well. And we listen to him pray in this psalm. We hear his cries. We hear his heart. We hear his faith express itself in prayer. So what do we hear? Um, Well, I'm following Christopher Ashe, a British theologian on this, and he he says we hear four things in in David's prayer. Firstly, we see see David's desire. Look at verse 1. He's in a dry and weary land, Thirst will be this all-engrossing need for him. He's really thirsty. But what does David thirst for in the midst of the desert? He longs not for water, but for God. In verse 1, I thirst for you. My whole being, it longs for you. You can see this kind of urgent craving in his voice. My whole being longs for you. David's desire is for his God. But secondly, we see David's delight. Look in verses 2 to 4. It speaks about him delighting in uh, the sanctuary in his covenant God. The sanctuary is is a picture of of God's presence with his people. It's the place where provision for sin is made. And David delights in this covenant God. In verse 3, he says, Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. He declares that, that the love of the covenant God is, is better than life itself. Life is a, is a shorthand here for everything that's good. Think about everything that's good. Breath, health, food, drink, beauty, intimacy, laughter, love. But God's covenant love, his steadfast love, David says, is better. It's worth more. The covenant God brings David delight. And thirdly, we see, we see David's joy in verses 5 to 8. In verse 5, I will be satisfied as with the richest foods. 
He has deep satisfaction with God. It's like a, a rich banquet laid before him, and he's satisfied with God. More than that, verse 6, On my bed I remember you. God brings David joy even in, in the darkest of times, right in the desert. He clings to God. At his bedtime, he, he, he meditates on his word. He is joyful because this is the Lord, the God that upholds him. God brings David the most joy. And then we see, finally, fourthly, we see David's assurance in verses 9 to 10. Being pursued, David expresses strong assurance that he will have future victory. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. He knows that his enemies will be defeated. He depends upon God and he is sure who will end up on top. He rejoices in the God who gives him this victory. So you see this language, it's really rich as David prays. He thirsts and he's satisfied. He, his prayer shows his desire, his delight, his joy and his hope is in, is in God. And it's just as a side point, notice that, that this is a prayer and David doesn't actually ask for anything. He does elsewhere in other Psalms, but this is this just shows us that prayer, in one sense, is not finally about getting things from God, but getting God himself. And you can see with David, he, he longs for God, he desires, he rejoices, and he hopes. Now, I don't know how you feel as you read that, because I actually find that very depressing, because my prayers are not, are not like that. One, uh, one theologian write the, writes this, uh, prayer is disgustingly revealing. What it does is it, it exposes our own hearts as well. For my prayers are rarely like David's. I don't, I don't know about you. It's not, you know, uniform experience necessarily. But you can read David's prayer in Psalm 63, and ultimately a prayer like that can, can be crushing for us. It can be crushing in, in, in a few ways. Let's just trace through those four themes again. See, David desired God above all others. Well, do, do I do that? I mean, my heart seems a cocktail of desires, some rightly ordered, but most not, most of the time. And so what happens when I don't desire God this way? Well, either I can, I can feel bad or I can try and kind of summon up the energy to try and desire God the right way. Or secondly, David delighted in God's presence, his provision of sin, and his love more than life. Again, do I do, I do that? Well, sometimes, if you're like me, you may a bit, but I really should a whole lot more. And so you can read this and think, well, what do I need to do? I need to go try and somehow delight in God more. Summons delight from somewhere. And we see thirdly that David rejoiced in, in God during the dark nights on his bed in the wilderness. Where does he turn his thoughts? Well, his thoughts go to God. Do my thoughts in the dark wilderness times go to God? Sometimes, but often not. And so, what am I left with when re reading this? Do I, do I 
try and go and follow his example. And fourthly, David was sure that his enemies would be destroyed. Can I be sure of that? If I, if I am, it's, it's kind of, in one sense, arrogant or unrealistic or even vengeful. Can you, can you see, if, if you read David's words as our own, it can be, can be crushing. Yet this is a Spirit-inspired Word of God. It's a model prayer. It is a song for us to sing. So how are we meant to sing this? How do we make sense of this? How can we make this prayer our own? That's our second point. How are we to pray? Well, we pray in Jesus' name, and that gives us a bit of a, a clue how we can pray and use the Psalms. See, David prays this prayer by the Spirit, that is, the Spirit that inspired the Word of God, that is, the Spirit of Christ who is to come. Christopher Ash writes, in, in, in his, that is, David's desire, delight, joy, and assurance, what we see is a, a foreshadowing of a greater desire delight, joy, and assurance. See, David is the king, and he voices these words as his own, yet as he voices these words, he's also voicing words of a greater king, our Lord Jesus. And Jesus fully entered into the experience that that David foreshadowed, and he enables us to say uh, in his name this prayer and to voice it And how can we do that? Well, firstly, we know that Jesus did desire God above all things. In the Gospels, we see he longed for fellowship with his Father. He withdrew to spend time with him. In the desert, in the wilderness, literally, he faced temptation. He longed for and thirsted for God. Uh, We see that Jesus delighted in, in God the Father, the delight that David found in the sanctuary in God, Jesus embodied in himself. He, he delighted in his Father above all others. The devil, in, in his temptation, offered him all the kingdoms of the world. But for Jesus, the covenant love of his Father was, was better. And Jesus truly rejoiced in God the Father, even in the face of rejection and suffering. And finally, Jesus hoped, had true hope of final vindication, in the sense that he, he foresaw a time when he would return, coming on the clouds of heaven, as it's described in Matthew 26. Our King, the Lord Jesus, does rejoice in God. He desires God. He delights in God. He rejoices and he knows that he will have final vindication. And so how do we pray? Well, the answer is, not necessarily through techniques, but through a person. We can pray the Psalms and we can pray because we pray in Christ. Jesus entered fully into the experience that David foreshadowed and now, united to Jesus, we can pray in Christ because we've been united to him. In Galatians 4, uh, it speaks about our adoption in Christ. It says, But when the time set had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption to sonship. And because you are his sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. 
See, it's in relating, responding, and communing with the one who has initiated toward us in Jesus that we can do this as adopted children. God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit created humanity to be in relationship with him, to commune with him, but in sin we we turn from his initiative. Uh, But God is the great pursuing God. Jesus, God, made flesh, came down, lived a life we should have lived, took our consequences for sin, died the death we deserved, then was raised to life, and, and in that raised us to life also. So we are united with Christ Our relationship has been restored, and so we can know him mediated through the Son. We can desire him, we can delight in him, we can enjoy him and have his assurance. So as we read Psalm 63, we're not King David, but we can pray as the King, Jesus, as it says in verse 11, who swear by God and glory in him. Through through Christ, David's prayer in the Spirit can become ours. We have God's ear. So, so what does it look like to pray this prayer in Christ? Well, firstly, it's, it's not that David desired God and I need to try harder to desire God. It's that Jesus desired God for me and I enter into the fruits of his desire. He offers us, as we read in the second reading, living water that will truly satisfy so I don't have to look elsewhere to quench my thirst. Our thirst can take us to dark places, but Jesus desired God for me and I can enter into the fruits of his desire. Jesus says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst again. Secondly, it's not that David delighted in God and I need to try harder to delight in God. It's that Jesus delighted in God for me and I can enter into the fruits of his delight. Uh, sometimes I think we question whether we should pray if our, our desires are out of, out of joint. But by the Spirit, our desires are being reordered day by day to love him and to love others rightly. We can enter into the fruits of his desire and and delight. And prayer helps us in this process. It shapes our desires. And thirdly, it's not that David rejoiced in God and I need to try harder to to rejoice in God. It's It's that Jesus rejoiced in God at all times and I enter into the fruits of his joy. As the Apostle Paul says, we can rejoice with thanksgiving. More than that, we can in our, in our own metaphorical wilderness, in our anxieties and fears, we can go to him because we go to him in Jesus. And as the Father loves the Son, so adopted in him, he loves us, he loves to hear from us, and he promises us peace. And finally, it's not that David was sure of his final vindication, so I need to persuade myself of the same assurance. It is that Jesus is our sure and final vindication we can be confident that that great enemy that we face, sin and death, has been conquered in him, and in him lies our ultimate victory. So we don't need to make things right because Jesus has, and it means that things are going to be all right in the end, and it even means that we can pray for our enemies. So prayer, prayer is talking to God. It's an expression of our faith, but we, we do so in Christ with the assurance 
and privilege of children. And as we read Psalm 63, what we see in Christ is that on offer is our desires being met, true delight, joy and hope. So given this reality, well, how can we form habits to commune with God in prayer? Well, first remember that prayer is not something we do, but it's a relationship that we enter into at God's initiative. Uh, One writer says, The great purpose of prayer is to come humbly, expectantly, and because of Jesus bodily, uh, sorry, because of Jesus boldly into the presence of God to relate to him, to talk with him, and ultimately to enjoy him as our great treasure. And so prayer is the opportunity to enjoy God as our great treasure. But how can we pray in such a way that will form our hearts? Well, I've got four thoughts to close. Firstly, we can, we can pray using Scripture. We can pray scripturally. Um, God speaks to us through His Word, uh, and we speak back to Him, and He hears us. Uh, but we can use the words that He gives us, like Psalm 63. We can pray those prayers in, in Christ. We can pray through Scripture. As we read it, we can respond. Um, you can read a line, pray, move on to the next line, maybe meditate on a single verse and turn it into a prayer. I think that's the essence of what David is doing on, on his bed at night. He's meditating on God's Word, and we can turn that into to prayers. It's interesting, C.S. Lewis calls this the practice of festooning. It's a new word for you. I didn't know this one earlier this week. But to festoon something is to adorn a place with ribbons, garlands, and other decorations. And his idea with this is, as you, as you read Scripture, as you read a verse, you then take it, as it were, roll it around in your mind, and, and use it uh, to, to kind of personalise a passage, uh, to make it out your own, to fill it out as your own in in prayer. And C.S. Lewis argues that this is a way in which we pray. Um, there's, another, there's another um, letter by Martin Luther, who, who he wrote to, uh, his barber asked him about prayer, and so he wrote him this, this lovely, extensive letter on prayer. I quite love that, that, you know, Martin Luther, this, this reformer, ends up addressing his barber with, with this kind of extensive letter on prayer, and he talks about a similar thing, he encourages him to use the Lord's Prayer or the Ten Commandments or even the Apostles' Creed and, and to read the line and to use that to turn into prayer. But we can do that with the prayer that Jesus taught us but also Paul's prayers from his epistles. We can use Scripture to, to, to give us words to speak back to God, to commune with Him, as it were. But then also we can, we can use prayer more formally. I think the Lord's Prayer provides us with with this as a model. Um, it can be summed, with the, the, summed up in the acrostic acts. You know, we, we begin with an A, with, with adoration, where we adore God, with, with praise to the truth revealed in what you are reading. Then we can move to a time of confession, C, where we confess our own sins and failings. And then move into a time of thanksgiving, where we give thanks for His grace and mercy, and finally to supplication, that is, asking Him for things, for yourself, your family, your church, and, and beyond. We can, we can use a formal structure like that exists in, in the Lord's Prayer to respond to Him, to relate with Him, to commune with Him. But thirdly, I think we can, we can pray spontaneously. Paul Miller in his book, Praying Life, speaks 
about spontaneous prayer. These are, these are those, those short, brief, spontaneous prayers, prayers that come from a place where we recognize day-to-day our own spiritual weakness and need for mercy. Uh, he likens it to a, to a child running to uh, their mother, kind of saying, mummy, mummy, mummy. It's the idea, the, the Abba Father idea of we approach God and re- refer to him in an intimate way. Um, and as, as children in Christ, we can do the same. In those moments of, of helplessness, we can spontaneously cry out to God, cries of mercy, appeals for forgiveness, and asking for strength. We can pray spontaneously. And then finally, we can pray communally. Uh, we can do that by using the prayers of others. I remember um, I came late to the game in, in reading, but I remember reading um, Charles Dickens for the first time. And as, as I was reading it, it was kind of like the time between then and now kind of collapsed because he just, just it was like I was an open book. He was describing thoughts and feelings, fears and anxieties. And I was like, wow. Um, and it's in a similar way we can, we can use the prayers of those in the past um, who share our common human experience and often write beautiful prayers in beautiful verse. We can draw upon those as a means of encouragement in our, in our prayer life. The Book of Common Prayer, the Valley of Vision, or, or Spurgeon's prayers. We can pray communally, that is, with, with people from the past, but we can also pray with others. Uh, we do that every week as we pray here, up the back in our services, after the service, in our community groups. But we can pray in, in our conversations, before meals, before your guests leave. We've been looking at habits that shape the heart. Calvin says that prayer is the the chief exercise of faith, faith expressing itself. Um, And we've seen a model of how we can do that in Christ. Through union in Christ, we have the privilege as sons and daughters of communing with God. And prayerlessness is foregoing that privilege. But what is on offer? Well, as we pray in Christ, what, an, what is on offer is satisfaction to our longings, a reordering of our desires, true joy even in the midst of undesirable circumstances, and assurance of our future hope that it will all be okay in the end. So let's make it a habit of seeking to commune with God as his sons and daughters in prayer. Let's pray. Father, it is a privilege to be united to Jesus and called your sons and daughters, a privilege that we cannot fathom in full, um, full understanding, but we thank you for it. And we thank you for what that means for us, that we address you as sons and daughters. You speak to us, you reveal yourself to us, but you long to relate to us and, and you You give us the means to have your ear through prayer. And we pray that we might be a community that uh, take that privilege seriously, that in our own lives and in our life together, we might be those that petition you, that have your ear, that relate with you, uh, that pray to you, that we might express our dependence in that way. Please form us to be that people, to take up that privilege. And we pray that you might truly do as you promised in Christ, grant us living water. In Jesus' name, amen.